If you'll turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. Galatians, chapter 2. Verse 7 is where we're going to pick up from and uh, read through the end of the chapter. God's word declares, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I said the theology of food last week, and that really wasn't accurate. It's really the theology of the meal that God has designed for us. So we talked about the overview last week about the fact that from the first introduction of man all the way to the conclusion of this earth and the establishment of the new heaven and the earth, God talks about what you're going to eat what you are or not to eat, or where or how. We look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We look forward to the tree of, trees of life giving forth their fruit month by month, the water from the river of life flowing from the throne of God. Uh, we, remember, we remember very clearly that even before there was sin, God cared what you put in your mouth. For the one commandment that he gave Adam and Eve was you can eat freely. Isn't that great? You can eat freely, something you will rediscover when you get into the New Testament. You can eat freely, except for one thing, and that is the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so even at the very beginning, we are confronted with the fact that what we eat is of some concern. It should be of some interest to us in how we do that. And we can go all the way through the scripture and literally 
book by book and, and event by event, you will see intermixed with the events that we often think about as events of faith, how much they are engaging in meals and food and consumption of the body in each of the, in many, almost all the events. We come to the law, and most of the time we think that we're going to get a theology of food or meals, we're going to talk about clean and unclean foods, that we're going to go to the law. And we have done that so much that we, and we tried to segregate ourselves with, from the Hebraic food laws, that we have segregated ourselves from and disassociated, really, all of our activity at the table, really, from aspects of worship. So this morning we are going to just rediscover something and we are driving off of a single phrase or a couple of phrases here in Jude where it talks about that you have spots in your love feast. And we don't appreciate that. Why don't we appreciate that description of false teachers as spots in your love feast is because we don't practice the love feast. We have disassociated ourselves. from It is foreign to us how precious it really, really is because we don't practice it. We practice communion, and we talked about that last week a little bit as well. Uh, and, and the love feast has come in and out of practice throughout church history on occasions in certain parts um, of, of uh, Christian community. It has risen back up um, here and there sporadically, but not for very long. Uh, the early church, though, practiced it certainly for the first century or two of the church uh, before it began to just go away. And so this isn't a recent phenomenon that we have lost contact with this feast. And I would contend that rather than saying this is just the, the uh, development of the church theologically or anything like that, rather it was the degradation of the church because we didn't pay attention to both Peter and Jude who said watch out who you are eating with because they will come in and destroy your fellowship well what better way to destroy fellowship than not have it at all just take it away and so they took away the love feast over time because it became problematic. There were issues and divisions. And even, even Paul has to deal with that in Corinthians. It says you get together and you're not one. You're not one in your eating. And you're not one in your love for one another. Now, does eating together equal loving each other? No. But not eating together, having one person have a mound of food, a feast, and the other one having just a piece of crusty bread, demonstrate that there is no love. So you can't have one without the other, but the other one you can't possibly have without losing the other. And so we have these instructions, and so what I want to do, is, this is not just a gimmick this morning, this is a, a worship service. We want to rediscover the intimacy of sharing a meal with our brethren in Christ. And unfortunately, one of the cultural things that has happened here of late is that we have stopped making meals intimate matters. It is not something you share. Maybe on Thanksgiving Day you share a meal with a wide circle of people, a wider circle of people, and you have a feast and things like that. 
but we have lost touch of the fact because mostly we just share our meals with the TV, as I said last week, um, and we worship there in front of that God. And here we're going to worship the true and living God with our brethren in Christ and not worship in front of an idol. And so we are going to have a genuine love feast. Now, uh, so number one, we have a problem with Jude not taking it seriously because we don't understand love feasts. We're going to try to re-explore that, not only this week, but in the weeks to come. The second thing is because we don't understand what a spot is. A spot in your love feast. And most of you, when you think of spot, you think of a little stain or something on your coat or pants or on the tablecloth or, oh, look, my fork isn't clean. They didn't quite get it. That's not what he's talking about. Um, so to help you understand what he's talking about, and then this is kind of just a, a warning, okay? Um, to help you understand what he's talking about, the word spot here in Jude is literally an unseen rock. That's literally what it means. A rock you can't see, it's below the surface. It was also used to describe hidden reefs in the sea. That as a sailor went by, there would be a reef and there would be something that's below the surface. The surface looks great, I can sail right through that. But a knowledgeable sailor that knows the seas knows, hey, there's a reef there, you don't go there. It's going to destroy your ship, you're going to sink. And that's how they describe these false teachers. They are hidden rocks. They look good on the surface, but they're going to destroy your fellowship. So I'm just going to use a very strong imagery to get the idea of how serious this is when it happens to the church. Um, I don't know if some of you might have noticed. I know my wife knows because um, there's some rocks in your food. They're about this size. They have been boiled. Okay, I washed them and I boiled them. They're sanitized. Um, just be careful. Now, how are you going to eat from here on out? What are you going to do for your child's food? How careful are you going to be now compared to what you were, knowing that everyone loved preparing this food and passed or spoiled it, throwing rocks in the soup? How are you going to prepare your child's food? Knowing there might be a rock in it. Now, how you feel about plopping a bunch of food on your child's plate or even your own plate with the knowledge there might be a rock in it is how a pastor feels when they read Jude 12. How much more careful need we be with who we trust, with what things? With the, not just with handling the scriptures, but with just moving within the church. That we want to make sure that we are the genuine article, that we really are believers. We ask you to share your testimony because we know from God's word the danger of this, just as you know the danger of a literal rock in your food to your child and to you. You will be more careful in your eating. In our ministry, the threat of having spots in our love feast is real. Does that mean we withdraw and just stop eating? Are, how many of you are not going to eat now because there's a rock in your food? Oh, I'm glad. So all of you are going to eat today. Praise the Lord. You don't have to, by the way. You learned that in Sunday school. Whether you eat or don't eat, glorify God, be thankful, whichever way it goes. It's your choice. 
Okay? So we can either say, we're just going to not do church because it's too, or we can just say, we're going to be real careful. We either stop ministry or decide to do ministry more carefully instead of just indiscriminately, and that's why way too many Americans eat. Mostly guys that came out of the military because our military makes them eat like that, forces them to eat in five minutes, and they never stop the rest of their lives. And if you don't believe me, just sit at that table. Okay, our veterans are over here, right? I'm trying to see if there's veterans. So veterans are over here, just sit at that table, all right? And some of us that were raised in military families can get like that too. So I was raised in a military family. My dad's Air Force, so I'm an Air Force brat. And uh, there are rocks in our love feast. Do we stop having them? Or do we just have them more carefully, more thoughtfully? We're not going to stop having fellowship dinners. We have them, but we want to have them more thoughtfully. And that's really what I want you to, to work on today. That's really what I want to develop, is that we have it more, that we be more intentional and purposeful in our worship and recognize there are always going to be hazards to worship. At home, there's going to be hazards. I try to warn you about those. When I say you're eating in front of an idol, the TV, that's a hazard. I'm just doing my job of warning you, there's a rock in your soup. There are hazards at church. And we can either let those hazards destroy our faith and our worship, or we can just do our worship in faith and recognize they exist and be more careful and intentional in them. And so this morning, I'm going to dismiss you now and let you go get your food. <laughs> Don't sit there and dig through trying to find the rock. All right? There might only be one, by the way. I didn't have a lot of time between services, and some of you came late, so everyone's going to eat the Chavez's food because they know that I've been up here the whole time since the Chavez has got here, and the McKillops. So they're like, we're only eating their food. I'll run back there. I'll make you all stand up, sing a song, or pray. Oh, pray. Yeah, I'll help one of you pray, and I'll go back there and take care of that because um, I still have one. As we eat together, I want to remind you of the intimacy of the act. That this is something we share with one another. And by the way, you don't have to eat where you're sitting right now. Okay? In fact, I'd prefer you somehow divide up a little better so these guys don't feel like they're isolated because they came a little late. So you don't have to eat where you're sitting, but please gather and fellowship with one another. And uh, I'll... Start preaching again once everyone sits down. Let's have a word of prayer. You thought I was kidding about walking back here while you're praying. Every eye bowed, every head <laughs> eye bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed. Isn't that what every preacher says? Where is your food, Josefina? <laughs> oh, it's still in here. Okay. Okay. Let's pray. There is Josefina in here. Okay. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your provision of, uh, for us. We thank you that you sustain us, not only physically, and we, and we rehearse that today with this meal and every meal, that you are the God that has cared for our physical needs, but you have sustained us, provided for us abundantly. You have given us a spiritual feast, spiritually. 
And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to share not only food with one another, but spiritually with one another, the love of God that you put in us by your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we commit this time as a time of fellowship. That is the union that we have with you and therefore with one another. And Lord, our prayer is that this meal might be glorifying to your name. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Those things happen. If everyone's fed as soon as you come in, I'll get started. We've got a few people getting their drinks. Anybody find a rock? Or I don't think so. Let's see the rock. No, it's not. That's called lying, and you might be the rock that's in our love feast today. If you notice, I kind of cut myself in the line because I served myself the rocks, because I knew where they were. So I have them up here, so I know you didn't get them. There it is. Yeah, here's the rock. I served myself the rock. It was in your lasagna, but I knew he didn't get it because I knew where I got it. Because that's my job. It is also your job for each other is to, that's why all these warnings are in the scriptures, why Jude was written, is that we guard one another, guard our faith, and take that. I still have that first rock, though. Anybody want one? John chapter 21. Keep eating. Just listen. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going also with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea, which is the opposite of what we would have done. We would have taken out the, off the garden and then jumped in. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although they were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to them again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, tend my sheep. He said to them a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Then he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if, it, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know the testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. It is a love feast. I've talked about the spot, I've talked about the feast, but I haven't talked about the love. <laughs> Jesus Christ, on one of his last occasions on earth of engaging with his disciples, this third meeting between him and seven of the twelve, seven of the eleven, has breakfast waiting for them. They can bring their own too, bring your fish too, you guys are probably hungry. I've got bread, I've got Fish on the coals, fire's already made, a lot of preparation, and God has done great preparation. And by that, he demonstrates his love, his provision and preparation for us, not only spiritually, but also physically. One of the means by which we have an opportunity in a love feast to express our love is through the preparation. And this is something we have done damage to, I think, over time, that we have diminished the value of the preparing a meal. So, and mostly in this modern era, because of the modern conveniences that are ours and how quickly it is that you can prepare a meal. Some of you think that spending 20 minutes to prepare a meal is an enormous amount of time. Because the microwave, I'm sure, can do it in seven or less. Imagine the role when you have to go slaughter the animal. And you have to gut it, clean it, prepare it. You have to go down and cut the wood to make the coals. You have to make the pot to cook it in. Suddenly, preparing a meal becomes a pretty substantial act of service. That you don't just go to the grocery store and buy it, but you get grain and you take two rocks and you make 
flour, your own. You then take that and you make it, mix it with some milk that you had to squeeze out of an udder of some animal. Wow, preparation is a demonstration of love. And we have diminished that in our modern era. The value in the home of the one who is preparing the meal as an act of loving service to the family. And that can be the entire family involved in some of those cases. Jesus Christ here says, I prepared and provided sufficient. You can bring your own as well. Bring your fish. But I already have some fish. I already have bread here. It's already warm, cooked, ready to eat. Because Jesus Christ has done all the providing. And by doing this for their physical needs, he speaks of the fact that he has already provided for their spiritual needs, hasn't he? He's already done the work. He's already prepared and provided all they need spiritually to be right with God. But I want you to notice that at this breakfast, these guys have been up all night. Solomon says joy comes in the morning. <laughs> and here it comes. They're, they get close to shore. They're on the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they get close to shore and they call out. And Jesus calls out to them, have you any food? How are you set up? Do you have any food? I'm here on the shore. You don't know who this is, just some guy yelling. They said, no, it means we haven't caught anything. We have nothing to eat. We didn't come really prepared. We have no provisions for ourselves. And he says, come on, I have plenty. And one of the seven recognized him. Not because he was visibly recognizable. I am convinced that Christ in his resurrected glory um, had, a, had white hair um, because that's how he's described in Revelation. If you read how Jesus describes Revelation, I believe that's why the women at the garden didn't recognize him because he looked differently. He had been in the glory of God and he shone like Moses shone to some degree. But the description in Revelation has him with white hair. They wouldn't have expected that from a 30-year-old that they just had supper with a few days earlier. So they didn't necessarily recognize him by his physical features, so how they recognize him. John says, that's Jesus. I can tell. What is the description of John? The one whom Jesus loved. Which brings us to our love feast. The one whom Jesus loved. Ultimately, this isn't something we're generating inside of ourselves, a committed relationship to each other that we share in an intimate fashion across a table with some food. It is something we are reflecting. That as God loved us, we love one another. And John says, I recognize the Lord, even when I can't physically see it, I can recognize his presence. Can you recognize the presence of the Lord in people? One whom Jesus loved. There was a loving relationship there, and it's no mistake that John is the first one to say, uh, that's Jesus. So he was the first to recognize him, but look at the response. The first one to say, I can't wait to get to shore to, to meet him is Peter. <laughs> I'm getting dressed and jumping in, and he swims on in to get there ahead of the others. Remember, they're not just bringing a boat. They're bringing a boat dragging a net with a bunch of huge fish in it. 
So they're struggling to get that thing to shore. Peter arrives there, and now we come into the second aspect of this breakfast relationship. And that is, Peter, do you love me? Jude uses the word, the agape meal. Not the phileo meal. This isn't just a friendly meal we share with one another. This is an agape meal. It's a different Greek word. And the word that Jesus uses here on two of the three occasions is do you agape. Do you have this committed relationship with me? Do you love me? Do you agape me with all you are? Do you have this commitment to me? And Peter's response is, I have a brotherly love for you. <laughs> I phileo you. We get Philadelphia from that, city of brotherly love. Jude says, no, this is an agape meal. This isn't just about being friendly to each other. This is about being fully committed to one another, to your, each other's well-being. And that, the demonstration of that commitment isn't necessarily just going around and hugging. It is, I believe, as Jesus showed it to the disciples, it is through acts of service. How do we know that God so loved us? Think about it. What is the express, What is the demonstration that God loved us? He gave himself. The de- how you eat your meal right now isn't all there is to a, a agape meal. It is how much you put into this meal before you ever got here. It is in the preparation and the provision of it. Now, I sprang this on you last week, having never taught you much about it um, purposefully. We're going to do it again in a few weeks to see if you do it any better. I won't put any rocks in your meal then. Okay. The preparation demonstrates the level of service that you're willing to engage in for another. What does Jesus say? If you love me, do what? Feed my sheep. Earlier, in his, before his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus said, you know, if you want to serve me, then you've got to serve the least of these. And uh, you're going to be condemned because you didn't give me water. You didn't give me food to eat. And they're going to say, when did we have a chance to do that? He says, when you do that to the least of these you, of my brethren... You do it to me. So yes, your preparation of food, and I know that in our culture largely lands upon moms and wives, is an act of loving service that is too little recognized in our culture. It is something we have emphasized to our children at our family dinner table. And and, and I try to reinforce that as well in my praise of my wife's cooking and uh, even if it's not something my, not my favorite meal I have my favorite meals some of you do too don't you don't you have your favorite meals but that doesn't mean the rest of the meals aren't any good they're just not your favorite but they're still good she's all right So I try to pray, and, and 
We, we quote from Charles Dickens' movie, A Triumph, My Dear, A Triumph, to essentially say, another well-done meal of loving service to us. And it is valued. Not just by how much we eat or how fast we eat or how much noise we make while we eat. <clears throat> you know it's good food when they make noise while they eat. <clears throat> I've fed most of your babies, and they really like some of your food. So, <laughs> so. You see, the activity of preparation shows as much of love for your brethren as any. Now, I sprained this last week on everyone, including my wife. So how much preparation did you put into this meal? How much preparation did you consider putting into this meal? I made a commitment that I didn't tell you last week, and that is that I would do no preparations for this meal. That's what I was committed to. I would do no preparations for this meal. To see, unless I was asked. And so, you notice there's tables set up and chairs. There are these pretty plates. Did anyone eat off of this? There's this wonderful fall foliage plates. Where did these come from? (laughs) The only reason the tables are set up when you got here is because my wife asked me to. She says, when are you going to set up the church for the dinner? Well, if you want me to, I'll go do it. And I had some helpers help me do that. I didn't do a lot of it. Um, I really wasn't sure what was going to happen. I know that a lot of you were excited and some of you were dismayed. And uh, But for at least one person, it was, oh boy. And that was my wife. And she went into, I could almost see it happening in the middle of the service. She went into this different gear. <laughs> You could see it in her face and her eyes and her mind was just going, I got, we got to get all this, we got to do this, 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 this. I'm sure we have plates around and a lot of other things. You don't need table covers to eat, do you? My on, yeah. But she's a servant. If you love me, feed my sheep. Now, for me, you can say, oh, you're feeding the sheep because you give us spiritual food, and and that's really what he's talking about. That's not all he's talking about. If you look through the spiritual giftedness categories in Scripture, what you will find is that it speaks over and over again about many different kinds of service, including hospitality among them, uh, of giving, of of, uh, helps, gift of helps, and none of those are exhaustive. And so... Yes, those do matter. They are acts of ministry. Jesus here wasn't just concerned about their spiritual condition. He said, I have breakfast on the coals ready to serve you. Had he provided for all their spiritual needs? Yes, he didn't neglect those. But the problem is we have neglected valuing these other acts of service. Many times done by those that are close to us, and it's easy to take it for granted. 
here in this setting, we are celebrating God's preparation and provision by emulating him. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of each other. If you love God, love one another. And that is the power of the love feast. It isn't just about the intimacy of eating together. That is one aspect of it. But it's the opportunity to serve one another. In preparation, in provision, and here I go, in cleanup too. That's the worst part. But we serve as an act of love toward one another. For God has provided. God has prepared. And God has served us. We ought also to love one another, to serve one another. Not just on a spiritual realm, but on this realm. So the question is, do you love me? And it's easy to say, oh yeah, you know I love you. You know I'm your buddy. Well, then feed my sheep. Do the work that I want you to do. So this is a, an agape feast. This is a demonstration of our commitment to one another. And I gave the instruction last week, bring whatever you want. You can put as much or as little as you want into it. You can put as, but I didn't say anything about the rest of the preparations. But all of you have served enough meals, you know what preparation is required. One of the most powerful passages, I think, in Scripture is when God sends Jesus, sends his disciples into Jerusalem ahead of him and says, you're going to find this guy with a donkey tied up in a certain way. Follow him and uh, tell him, we have need of it. He says, go to another place, you're going to find an upper room with a whole meal prepared and that's where we're going to have the Passover. Do you ever think about the guy that prepared that whole place <laughs> to feed all those men? What was he doing that he had all that food and preparation already done? God had put something in his heart to go through all that effort and energy that we can't even fathom because we are so soft and pampered by our modern, is, modern technology of what it would take to throw something like that together. You don't throw that together. It's the Passover meal. It is the most elaborate and specific meal required in all Judaism. Maybe in all the world. And he had prepared that whole meal, that whole room, and he wasn't expecting anyone. But God had put it on his heart. And so in comes Jesus and is there that the communion is first given. And we're going to have that before we leave today. Not the first one. <laughs> we're going to have what you see on your table in front of you. But this is what we are doing. We're doing a love feast not just feeding our, our souls with the love we have for one another and the fellowship we can share, but even partaking and participating in each other's loving service. And that's why I think when we get to Corinthians and Romans, one of the things Paul keeps bringing up, whether you eat and drink or decide not to eat or drink, the question isn't the food. The food doesn't make the feast. It's the attitude of the heart that makes the feast. And that's why he says, make sure you're thankful. 
whatever you're eating, whatever going on, make sure you're thankful. Well, let's have our prayer. We're going to let you have seconds, get a little dessert maybe, and then we'll come back here. We're going to go to 1230, by the way, because I'm feeding you lunch. Well, I'm not. You're feeding each other lunch, so <laughs> we might go a little long this morning. That's okay. So let's have a word of prayer, and we're going to let you get a little bit more, get some seconds, take care of any other issues you want to have. Don't start cleaning up, because we're not ready for that. Um, just get some more to drink, and uh, I'm going to eat a little bit while you fellowship, and then we're going to um, shift gears into the Last Supper. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again for your love for us by which we can love one another. And Lord, we marvel at the extent of your provision and preparation and service to us. And Lord, we are lax many times and we ask for your forgiveness for that, that we don't show your lo our love for you as we claim by caring for your sheep, for our brethren our fellow members of Jesus Christ. Lord, keep this always before us, that we carry one another's burdens, that we have laugh with those who laugh and weep with those who weep, that we have that intimacy to not only eat together, but to engage one another, to be involved in one another's lives. Lord, that church is so much more than just a sermon and a song. That it is a commitment. It is agape. Lord, we thank you for this reminder. And we do thank you for the food that we have already consumed and all the preparation and work that has gone into not only making it, but bringing it here, keeping it warm, getting it warm, serving it. Lord, we thank you for these that have exercised themselves for our benefit. Lord, we rejoice in that. And Lord, we do pray that you might strengthen our love for one another and for all those within this household of faith, whether they be here amongst us or in distant lands, that we can reach out and express your love through us. To your honor, praise, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.